Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. The Lord, hallelujah. Uh, but I'm going to open back to Matthew 3 this morning just to give me a place to launch from again. My primary thought has been uh, on, on Friday night I shared about the simple uh, transition that John the Baptist begin to preach and declare, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me just uh, very simply say, put your hand out for a moment. Put your hand out if you would. Where's your hand at? It's right here. What John was simply saying when he said the word repent, again, a lot of times when you say the word repent, it's almost like we brace ourselves to get scared into an altar service. But, and, and I'm certainly not uh, you know, opposed to altar services, but uh, there have been a whole lot of people that were scared at altar services that didn't repent. And what I mean by that is that the Greek word for repent is the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your mind. We've been filming some things in our studio from the book of Revelation recently that's in the pipeline. It'll come out probably in the next three or four weeks. And uh, one of the primary messages that God began to say to the church in the book of Revelation is uh, you need to, to almost all of them but one, he said, repent. So the message of repentance is not just to sinners, it's to church folk. And when he's saying some things to them, he's saying to them to repent. That simply means you need to change your mind about some stuff. Now what, uh, what he simply was saying in this, and I, and I don't have time to go back and review everything we've said, uh, but what he's simply saying is, is that you need to change your mind. When John the Baptist comes introducing this, he's simply saying you need to change your mind about what has governed you up to this point. Because up until this point, they had been governed by an old covenant system of what I call rules on rocks. And now they're about to be governed by the Holy Spirit. They're about to come under the government of the kingdom. And when they do that, it's going to take a, a tremendous paradigm shift. What's tragic to me is that we are 2,000 years into the new covenant. And I'm not sure we've made the paradigm shift in our minds from an old covenant mindset, an old covenant form of governing that rules with fear, tyranny, and manipulation to a new covenant mindset that is governed by love. Come on, somebody. It's governed by faith. It's a faith that works by love, and it's governed by an indwelling Holy Spirit. While the external was uh, uh, commandments, carnal commandments, the Scripture calls it, in the New Covenant, it's an internal Holy Spirit. How many know that God gives you more than rules in the New Covenant? He puts His very own Spirit in you, and we talked about that last night. It's the Spirit of adoption that places us in a, uh, a context of sonship where we live life no longer as servants, because under the Old Covenant we were servants in the New Covenant we are sons. Let me read my text to get a place to launch from here this morning. Don't know how far I'll get, but we'll just uh, we'll just launch and see what happens. Three of Matthew verse one said, "In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, "The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight." And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins. I want us to look at this verse for a moment. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins. I believe he probably would have fit at this church. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Your pastor said I was kind of a father here. I, 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 we even dress a little bit alike. Hallelujah. He stole my body, though. Hallelujah. <laughs> He's much thinner. I don't know what happened to me. 
I guess he came off the road and started pastoring. I don't know. How, <laughs> I don't know how he stayed so thin. Anyway, praise the Lord. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins. And what? Look at this. And his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and Judea and all the region around about. Now let me let me take you over to the book of Leviticus, chapter eleven, verse number twenty-two, to show you. Because I used to think when I'd read this that this dude, you know, I mean, you look look how he's dressed. He's got a leather girdle, camel's hair. I kind of think about camel's hair, uh, kind of like a little bit like a uh, army blanket. You know what I mean? Anybody ever sleep on an army blanket? Not real comfortable. It'll rub you the wrong way. Touch somebody to say, uh, I've been around some ministries that will rub you the wrong way. But and then I thought, well, this dude, and the Bible takes great pain to point out that this dude uh, was eating locusts and wild honey. And I could see the honey, but then I used to think, well, maybe he was eating those um, pods, you know, like we get up here in, the, in West Virginia. We have locust trees that get these little things that look like pea pods. But actually, it was not uh, the pea pods he was eating. Right under this verse in the center column, it gives you Leviticus 11.22, and this is what it says in the Law of Moses. Even these of them you may eat, the locust after his kind, and the bald locust after his kind, and the beetle after his kind, and the grasshopper after his kind, but all other flying creeping things which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. Hallelujah. And what I got to thinking about was, here's this dude, John the Baptist, shows up and starts pointing, repent, the kingdom's at hand. This dude got on a leather girdle and camel hair clothes, and he is a bug eater. <laughs> this dude got bug guts coming out the corner of his mouth. I wish I could get some help in here on Sunday morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This man, I mean, you know, this is one of them crazy prophets. If you can hear what I'm saying, I, you know, I've traveled the, the nations of the earth. I've traveled the globe. If you go back to my Facebook page, you will see pictures of me eating chicken feet. Not not legs or, or wings, but chicken feet when I was in Malaysia. And they were pretty daggone good. Hallelujah. I've eaten some stuff, you know, I, I, hallelujah, I probably shouldn't say it since we're, we're, we're filming, but I've eaten some stuff that you'd look at and you'd say, I just tell them, don't tell me what it is. Because as long as I don't know what it is, if it tastes good, I'm going to try it. I was in Los Angeles and I told those brothers that we eat squirrels. And I know I'm in West Virginia, so I'm probably all right here. But when I told them brothers in Los Angeles that I eat squirrels, they took an offering up for me. <laughs> They said, Dr. Howes, is it because you don't have any money? I said, no, we kind of like squirrels where I live. And they said, well, these, those are like, <laughs> hallelujah. And, you know, I still like squirrels. Praise the Lord. <laughs> hallelujah. Probably just lost my half my television audience. Probably people are saying, I love animals. I love them, too. I love them fried. I love them boiled. I like them roasted. <laughs> don't, don't get mad at me. Just forgive me. Hallelujah. But I, I, there was something that really caught my attention in this because one of the things, and let me see, I, have, I know I don't have uh, the translation with me, but I did put it on my device this morning. I, anymore, you want to go to, uh, when you want to go someplace and preach, you want to say, open your device instead of your Bibles, right? <laughs> but I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 9, from my iPhone. And this is from the Message Bible Translation. It says, if the government of condemnation was impressive. Think about that. If the government of condemnation was impressive, 
How about this government of affirmation? Bright as the old government was, it would look downright dull against or alongside this new one. If that makeshift arrangement impressed us, how much more this brightly shining government installed for all eternity. What he simply says in that is that the old covenant was a government of condemnation. The old covenant always tells you what's wrong with you. If you go someplace and they're always preaching what's wrong with you, they are preaching from the wrong covenant. But if they preach the government of affirmation and they start to tell you what's right with you, what will happen is it will start to build faith in you until somewhere you will become what I call a believer. Hallelujah. See, because I was raised in a, a den denominational church that always told you, and even the way we learned how to preach was to get in the Word of God to find out what's wrong with people. Yeah. And we come to church on Sunday morning to take our weekly beating, so to speak. Yeah. And we get a bloody nose every time we walked in the door because they'd rear back and say, You want me to name sin? And then you got to hack when you do that. Yeah. I'm going to name it for you this morning. Some of you women came in here with makeup on your Jezebel face. And you got a hell of vision set in your living room. And you've been eating deviled ham, deviled eggs, deviled food cake. And you wonder why God don't move in the church. It's because you want God on one side and the world on the other. And you want to compromise. And you got to shake your jaws when you say, compromise and you might have come to church thinking you were saved but by the time they got done naming sin and telling you what's wrong with you that you was a dog returning to its vomit and a sow to its swallow then we wonder why we can only get you here on Christmas and Easter it's because you can only take two beatings a year I don't blame you for not coming either my suggestion is run for your life we have an abused spouse syndrome in the American church because we go to church and we take our beating. I say, why do you go back for another beating? They say, because they love me. That's what an abused spouse says. I'm telling you that there's a word coming forth from a different dimension. There's a repentance that's taking place. And this is not about, come on, a government of condemnation. It's about a government of affirmation. I came to tell you that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I came to tell you that he that knew no sin was made to be sin so that you could be made the righteousness of God. I came to tell you you're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I came to tell you you're accepted in the beloved. And as your pastor already sang, you are the apple of his eye. And somewhere you may look at us and say, oh, you don't know my life. But somewhere if you'll embrace that and believe it, you'll become what I call, wait for it, a believer. And if you become a believer, what you really believe is what you'll act on. Because if you're told your whole life you'll never amount to nothing and you're worthless, come on somebody, then you're going to grow up to act that way. But if somebody tells you that's not who you are. See, the American church are the greatest victims of identity theft, I believe, of anybody else. And it happens in the American church because we steal people's identity. But I came a long way to tell you I got life locked this morning. Hallelujah. I got my life locked into, a, come on, eternal life. And I know who I am. It's a government of affirmation. I got to thinking about this John the Baptist dude. I'm trying to get a little further here this morning. Help me, Holy Ghost. 
Hallelujah. And when John the Baptist comes on the scene, the man got locust and wild honey. I, I can see the wild honey thing because that's promised land stuff. Scripture says in the Song of Solomon, honey and milk are under your tongue. What that simply means to me is what you preach, what you declare, what you preach can create a promised land experience. You create your world. Worlds are framed by the things that you say. How I many know it is important what we declare, what we preach, what we say? Because faith comes by hearing. And you know what it looks like at first when you start to preach some of the things that I preach. It seems like it's swimming against the tide. But I tell you what, I feel like MC Hammer this morning. I'm too legit to quit now. Hallelujah. Because there's some folk rising up, but especially a younger generation. That's beginning to embrace the message that says, I'm not a dirt bag. I'm not an old sinner. I'm not a nobody. I am the righteousness of God. I'm a son of the living God. I can live contact. I know who my daddy is. I, I know where I've been born from. I know I got a new DNA in me. I've been regenerated. I got new genes, and I don't, I'm not talking about Levi genes. I'm talking about designer genes. Uh, you've got Melchizedek genes. That's a priesthood of a new covenant priest. Are we all right this morning? I got to thinking about this John the Baptist guy, and I can see the honey thing, you know, that, that, that it's the word that flows out of our mouth, milk and honey, and the Song of Solomon is under the tongue of the, of the bride of the king. And when we begin to speak the true word, it begins to create things, it begins to change things. But I said, well, what about this, uh, what about this, uh, this bug eating stuff? Of course, you know, it is the year of the locust. Did you all have them down here? This is the year of the locust stuff where we live, and you can fry them, you can chocolate them. I, I, I'll eat a squirrel, but I ain't after a bug. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I said, Lord, what are you saying? And the Lord took me, and I'm not going to go there this morning because of time, but uh, the book of Joel, in the book of Joel, he says, especially on the Amplified, he said there is a locust that has come. That, that It starts out in the book of Joel, and it says the, the canker worm, the palmer worm, has eaten and then the stripping locust and the hopping locust ate. But if you read that from the Amplified Bible, it'll say what the crawling locust left, the gnawing locust ate. What the gnawing locust ate, the hopping locust got. And what the hopping locust mi missed, the flying locust got. And I started reading that, and it says that these, these bugs, these locusts, have come into the garden or the vineyard of God, and they have completely laid desolate my vine. They have barked the fig tree until the condition of that era was that the barns were empty, the cattle were lowing, there was no food, there was a, a famine everywhere. And I know that we could talk about natural things there, but my mind works in prophetic pictures. And so when I started seeing uh, that the, they were these bugs were not just uh, like it wasn't, in other words, if you read it in the Amplified Bible, it is not four different locusts. It is four stages of the same bug. It starts out gnawing, then hopping, then crawling, and then it's airborne. And immediately the Lord took my mind back to the book of Numbers and, and Joshua and the places where the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And when they got ready to go into the promised land, Pastor Scott, the Bible said that they called out ten spies. Somebody say ten. Now, how many know, uh, not, not just 10, they called out 12, but 10 of those spies went into the promised land. How many know that 10 is the number of law? So if you're up under law, you're going to go into the promised land, and you're not going to look for how big the fruit is. You're going to look at about how thick the walled cities are. You're going to look at how big the giants are. You're going to come back with a report based on all the reasons you can't take it. 
I feel some preach on me this morning. You're going to talk about every time you get up in the pulpit, you're going to talk about how big the devil is, how bad the world is, how bad the, the government is. You're going to talk about how bad the situations are. You're going to talk about how bad your finances are. And you're going to come to a place where you get so discouraged, you're throwing the towel and say, we can't do it. God ain't big enough. We're going to die here in this wilderness. But there was two other guys. They were not the majority. They were, come on somebody. It wasn't the big group that was declared it, but two spies, Joshua and Caleb. They did not come back and say, come on. They did not come back and say, look how thick the walled cities are. They did not come back talking about how big the devil was. They did not come back talking about how big the giants are. They came back and said, you all are not going to believe the size of the grapes over there. We had to carry them on a pole between us. The fruit is so incredible that it took two of us to carry it. And that you saw the inhabitants of the land. But he said, the, 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 you know, uh, what the, what the ten spies come back and they say, because there were giants in the land. Watch this. He said, the sons of Anak and the giants were in the land. And we, listen, were in our own sight as grasshoppers. They had a grasshopper mentality. They had a losing mentality. When I saw John the Baptist was a bug eater, I started seeing this dude was destroying losing mentalities. Because losing mentalities, Pastor Scott, don't start flying. They start gnawing and then hopping and then crawling. And the first thing you know, they're airborne until it has barked the fig tree. It has completely laid desolate. Come on, the vine, the church in America have been victims of, of a blight. Come on, of bugs. And those bugs are losing mentalities that are coming from the mouth of the wrong spies. But God sends somebody like John the Baptist and says, repent, change the way you think. Say it another way. Lose your losing mentality. I wish you'd touch your neighbor this morning and say, you got to lose your losing mentality. <laughs> See, instead of telling you how big the enemy is, how big the problem is, I want to say like David, oh, magnify. Oh, magnify. I think of a magnifying glass. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's preach God wig real big. Let's begin to declare our God. Let's change our focus. See, because if you're going to preach how bad it is, it's because you are focused on the realm of the earth and the realm of fallenness and you are problem-oriented. But if you repent, you turn from, you look in another direction, come on. You lift up your heads and you look at how big your God is. And you start to change the way you look and what you perceive and what you think. And when there's a paradigm shift between your ears, you'll begin to declare, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And yes, I know there's some real problems, but i got a great big God. And I've got a great big Father. And He's not a weak God. And His supply is not exhausted. Heaven's government is not shut down. The kingdom's not where you go when you die. The kingdom's where you went when you got born again. Come on, somebody. And you're a citizen right now. And your daddy cares about you right now. I'm trying to get you to eat some bugs this morning. Kill some losing mentalities. It's a government of affirmation that we switch to. And interestingly enough to me that when Jesus comes up out in the same chapter of Matthew 3, when Jesus is baptized, verse 16 Chapter 3 of Matthew said, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. 
Lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven, watch this, saying, This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Can I tell you, that was the affirmation of a father. We have a classic message in archives. It's one of our most requested messages. We call the approval of a father will always empower a son. And when Jesus came up out of the water, his daddy, come on, began to speak out of the heavens and says, that's my son right there. That's my boy right there in whom I am well pleased. The affirmation of that father empowered him and released him into his ministry. I want to tell you something about Jesus at this point. He had not yet been tried. He had not yet been tested. He has not raised anybody from the dead, nor has he healed anybody sick. He has not been tested, proven, tried. And daddy said, that's my boy right there in whom I'm well pleased. See, I'm convinced if we will affirm our children, if we will continue to, they may not believe it at first. See, my son, youngest son, was my, my, he was my strong-willed child. And I'd tell him the whole time when they were growing up, we, we used these principles. I, I, instead, of saying, instead of saying stuff like, you little brat, you'll never amount to nothing. You'll be in prison by the time you're 20. I would say to him, you're too good of a child to act like that. That's not who you are. And he'd look at me sometimes like, you don't know what I'm doing. And he said, I would literally leave the room. And he said, sometimes I'd walk in and look in the mirror and say, they don't know what I'm doing, evidently. <laughs> but he said, you know what? You spoke that over my life long enough that one day I walked in that bathroom and I looked in the mirror and said, what if it's true what my dad's telling me? Yeah. See, faith starts to kick in when you say it long enough. Hallelujah. See, because the communication of our faith is by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in them. I'm not getting very far this morning, but I think this is real practical. Yes. And I've said this, I think, here before because it's really a key in what really transformed my ministry. But Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the latter part of it says, let no corrupt communication go out of your mouth. But only that which is good to the use of edification. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, it goes on to say, it says, uh, it says, uh, let no corrupt communication go out of your mouth, but only that which is used to the purpose of edification, that it might minister grace to the hearer and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you've been received of the day of redemption. When the Lord spoke that word to me, I was on an airplane many years ago, and the Lord said to me, I want you to stop using corrupt communication. And at that point, I thought maybe God was rebuking me for some words in my vocabulary that, that, that uh, was cussing, and I didn't even realize it was cussing. So I'm saying, Lord, which words am I saying that's cussing? He said, I'm not talking to you about what you call cursing. I am, however, talking to you about cursing. I said, what do you mean? He said, every time you get in the pulpit, if you curse my people, that's, that's corrupt communication. If what you preach and what we minister as parents and teachers does not come from the, from the posture of edification, what's that mean? To build people up. So when I come from this posture of preaching, I want to preach something that is to the use of edification, that it will build you up, that it might minister grace to the hearer. Because if I don't, it's corrupt communication, and it is grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? But when we begin to speak those things over our kids, and sometimes, listen, it might take faith to speak that over your kids. Come on, come on, anybody besides me think it's going to take a little stretch to believe. <laughs> come on, but, but what happens is it will minister grace to the hearer, and at some point, 
When they believe that they are who you said they are, you won't need a church sheriff anymore. Because when they come into a revelation of their true identity, what we truly believe is what we act on. And if I believe I'm righteous, I'm going to act like I'm righteous. If I believe I'm holy, I'm going to believe I'm going to act like I'm holy. Our problem is a believing problem. It's a faith issue. What do you really believe? And the truth of it is, is we've been sometimes so beat down under corrupt communication that we don't know what we believe or that we have really. See, I, listen, I know I'm not getting far this morning. But I sat right in church under the kind of preaching I just told you about where they told you everything that was wrong with you and what was how bad you were and you're a dog returning to its vomit, a soundless waller. And I would start those meetings thinking I was saved. But by the time they get done telling me what was wrong with me, I'm thinking it's a good possibility I'm lost. I mean, it literally would shut up my faith. And then I would go someplace and people would say, well, what do you all believe up at that church? I said, well, we don't believe that you should eat devil food cake. You can eat angel food. We don't believe women ought to cut their hair. We don't believe men ought to wear jewelry. We don't believe you ought to watch TV. We don't believe you should play sports. We've come a long way, baby, because when I was growing up, it was a sin to take physical education. And y'all just announced a, a, a basketball team. When I was growing up, it was a sin to watch TV. Now I'm on it. <laughs> I mean, I remember the day we shot our television set. We shot the dude, cold blood, right behind the barn. And I said to my pastor, can't we sell the TV? He said, if it's going to take you to hell, why you want to sell it to somebody else? We shot it. Found out that dude preaching against it had one in the closet and coat hangers with aluminum foil on it watching TV. He was a closet television watcher. I know I'm preaching good. I said, we don't believe in watching TV. We don't believe you ought to wear slacks if you're well. We don't believe, we don't believe, we don't believe. And what I realized, I, I'm standing there telling people, they're asking me, what do you all believe in that church? And I'm telling them what we don't believe. And so all of a sudden it hit me one day. What I have done is went to church most of my life and become an unbeliever. Because I don't believe anything. It's what we don't believe in that I know. Because they never taught me anything to believe. Yeah. Now, if you ask me what I believe today, I'm going to tell you I believe I'm a son. Amen. If, you, if you ask me what I believe, I believe I'm redeemed. I believe I'm the righteousness of God. I believe, come on, God's favors on my life. Hallelujah. I believe that we are the answer. I believe we are salt and we are light. I believe, come on. I'm a believer. Touch somebody. Say, hey, I'm a believer now. Yeah. Hallelujah. See, the only requirement of the new covenant is that you believe, and everything else that changes your behavior flows out of what you believe. Yeah. And can I tell you that the moment Jesus comes up out of the water, the affirmation, the government of affirmation falls on the Son. And Father said, that's my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus comes up out of the waters, and immediately he is driven by the Spirit. Very next chapter, I'm not going to read it. He is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he gets into the wilderness, man, there's so much to preach here. Hallelujah. But when he gets into the wilderness, and I, my question will be, why the wilderness? And the Lord said to me, he, he was driven into the wilderness because a wilderness is an unkept garden. 
And he said the first son, Adam, had a garden, and he turned it into a waste-hiling wilderness, and the next son is going to start, come on, in a wilderness, and by the time he's done, he's going to turn it into a garden. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.